We're so grateful. We're praying to a, a Christ, a Messiah that has risen from the dead, that Jesus, you are alive. And Lord, the word we're going to proclaim now is because you're alive, Jesus, that uh, you are watching over your creation and that, Lord, you are revealing yourself to us. And so this morning, as you've been doing it for thousands of years, God, we want to pray that you would come and reveal yourself here this morning. Lord, to every heart and mind, may there just be an opening that would be wonderful this morning to you. May you be so real to us, Jesus, that as we are going to hear your word, may it be life, bread, water to us, God. May it set us free and bring in the life that Jesus promised in your holy and precious name. Amen. Please be seated. As you're being seated, won't you please turn to Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Thanks so much, worship team. Uh, Rog forgot one very important announcement this morning, and that's it's his birthday. So give him a round of applause. 21, eh, Rog? Yeah, living the dream. 22, 22. Okay, let's, let's, not, let's not lie. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rod, I just want to say such a blessing to us as a congregation, um, and uh, we're so thankful for you, and grateful that uh, God's given us another year with you, and hope that the one ahead is going to be very special. So, we are looking at Luke chapter 16, verse 1, and uh, we took a pause from, for our educator's service last week, where we looked at that theme of sowing, but this morning, we're going to pick up, and the theme kind of intersects last week's Sundays, but we're going to finish off the second half of the parable we looked at two weeks ago of uh, the parable um, of the dishonest manager. So uh, if uh, you would turn your attention to verse 1 of chapter 16, reading from Luke, let's read together. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when... I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He, he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So this is probably one of the most difficult parables we said two weeks ago. And uh, in case you're thinking that Jesus is condoning dishonesty, uh, please don't think that that's, he's not doing that. <laughs> Nor is he saying that we need to uh, use wealth in a way that deceives people and uh, gets the most out of us while cheating them. But just quickly to recap, this parable is coming in a set of parables where Jesus is answering a criticism. It's very important we understand that. And the criticism is this is that sinners and tax collectors were drawing near to hear Jesus. These Pharisees couldn't stand that. The religious people of the day couldn't stand the fact that the kind of people Jesus was attracting around himself were the kind of people that the Pharisees did everything in their power to avoid. Remember, we said that sinners were those who were shunned from the synagogues. They could not come to church like you and I could today. And uh, tax collectors were hated. And uh, Jesus is saying to them, Guys, let me explain to you what I'm doing here. Let me explain to you the reason for my intentional interaction with the people of society that you think should be the furthest from the kingdom. I want to tell you something. I'm going to explain to you what my motivation is. The very people that you think should be disqualified from receiving salvation is the very people that I'm after. Maybe that's hope for you this morning. And what Jesus does is he tells four parables. We looked at some of them, the last sheep being one, and then two weeks ago we looked at the parable of this shrewd manager. And the story goes that there is this manager, this steward of a rich man's uh, estate, and he is dishonest. He does a bad job. And what happens is the boss finds out and he says, I want to see the accounting books. And so this man, this manager is left with an option of trying to go, well, how do I get out of this? And he weighs up his options and uh, he's very shrewd. He's very clever. He's very smart. What he does is he, he goes to the debtors and he rightfully by law, he could do this. He had every right to manage the, the boss's estate is he cuts the debt by a considerable amount. I mean, it's thou it would be thousands and thousands of rands that uh, in, our, in our figures today. And what this does is this puts his boss on the spot because when he goes to the debtors, the debtors don't know he's in trouble. And so they think, man, the boss of this, this manager is amazing. He's canceled this debt by half. And the, the boss whom the manager represents gets all the praise and the glory and the admiration of those that owed him money. And uh, this puts the boss in a spot. Because if he goes back to these people that owed him cash and said, sorry, uh, you need to pay the full amount now, how do you think that will make him look? Really bad, not so? And so the boss is stuck because he doesn't want to lose face and his reputation is important to his business and he's gained a lot of points with those that owed him money. If he had to reverse that, he would lose credibility. And so the manager forces him to go along with his plan. But also the manager is clever because if he loses his job, he knows he can call in favors from those that he did a favor for. And Jesus makes this point. He says, 
The reason why the shrewd manager is commended is because he knew his boss. He knew how his boss ticked. He knew that his boss wanted to be seen as a generous, merciful man. A man that was upright. A man that was to be respectable. And the criticism of Jesus was, those that were claiming to represent the, the Father in heaven, the Pharisees, did not have a clue of the master that they served. He said, Pharisees, if you really understood what the Father is about, you would be welcoming these sinners and tax collectors because the reputation that God wants in the world that we live in is one of being a merciful Savior. The way that God needs to be seen when people come into this building, Ridge, when they come and rub shoulders with us, when they come into our meetings, when they come into our small groups, when they come and visit us for the first time, is they have to feel the heart of God for them. And the heart of God is one that's merciful and open and compassionate. And just like this manager knew that his boss was going to have to go along with the canceling of debt because he was a merciful guy, it is the same here. That when you hear the word from this pulpit, sure there's challenging, challenging stuff to hear, but man, the heart of God needs to pulsate from this church, which is he is a God of mercy ready to cancel debt. He is ready to cancel the debt of sin. He's ready to receive those who've performed badly, those who've messed up their life. You might be here this morning going, there is no hope for me. I want to say this parable disproves it. And if you're waiting to receive something from God based on your performance this morning, my friend, you're going to wait forever because God wants to be so scandalous to you, He wants to give it to you as a gift. And this morning, we need to revel in this church. The challenge in the first part of this parable is, do you know God? Do you know what He's like to you? This is not just an abstract story told by Jesus 2,000 years ago. This is the fundamental way we see the Father we serve, is He is a God of mercy, and Christ is the greatest testimony of that. And if we lose that, if we lose that, when people come into this place, they will feel what they felt around the Pharisees' rejection. Because when we start to build this church on our performance or our self-righteousness, what people feel is not the love of the Father for sinners. What people feel is the failure of sin before a righteous judge. Rejection. But there's a second part to this this morning. And one which is so intimately linked, as you will see as I rounded up at the end, it is one about money. This theme of stewardship, this manager that was given something, he was entrusted with something from God, it is a theme for the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about how Christ calls us to relate to money. Because this is directed to his disciples. If you want to follow Jesus... One of the things that Jesus spoke a lot about is money. And I want to say on the outset, we don't talk a lot about it because of the horrendous abuse around money in the church today. You might come from a background where there is two sermons on the Sunday. One is about money and how you got to give. The other one is about how you're supposed to live before God. And the pressure about money and the focus on money is something we reject as a church. And you notice how we do it in, in the morning when you come. Raj is so nice, isn't he? If you're a visitor, just let the bag going by. We don't want there to be any pressure to give. 
Jesus says we must give from a cheerful heart. So we are deliberate in the way we do things because we don't want to be those churches that uh, make everything about money. And secondly, you might be thinking, well, maybe the budget's going badly. I want to say last month was the biggest month of giving the Ridge has ever had in its history. So I'm not preaching here lacking faith before God, going, God, are you going to provide? God has provided, and he has provided abundantly, which we give him glory for. But this morning, we have to look at this thing, and Jesus, because Jesus did, and he spoke a lot about it, and I want to invite you in this morning to reflect into what he says. Because there is a lot at stake. And it would have been easy for me to just talk about the first half of the parable. But I've been challenged this morning by how often Jesus reminds us how we are to relate to our earthly possessions. And so in this parable, the second part, when he switches it in verse 9, he is concerned that those who are committed to following him, his disciples, think spiritually about this life and the wealth which has been entrusted to them. Do you know this morning that everything you have does not belong to you? It belongs to the creator who made it. Not even your body, not the money in your bank accounts, not the car you drive, not the clothes on your back. Everything you have has been made or fashioned from what is God's. And this morning, the life of every human being is that we are stewards of what God has given us. And you might not be a Christian this morning. doesn't matter. You're going to give an account like we do before God with what you have done with what he's given. Secondly, is to understand that this issue of stewardship is one that we are very quick to forget. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, he says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, by means of unrighteous wealth, meaning the wealth that you have of this fallen world, what God has given you in your hands. He says something interesting. He says, make friends so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. That's the first thing. Verse 11 is, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? The first thing we need to see this morning that Jesus is doing is he says there are two realms that we live in. The one is this temporary realm where we have this unrighteous wealth. Unrighteous wealth means the stuff that you have in this world, this fallen world that's going to be burnt up one day and it's going to be gone. He says we have to remember that there's that, this temporary realm that we live in, our physical reality, but there is also a realm of eternity that is just as real as what we see and taste and touch. That's the first. You've got to know that that is a fundamental reality that God puts forward to humanity. Is that whilst we live in this temporal world, whilst you drive to your job, whilst you spend the cash at pick and pay, whilst you do things that are very physical, there is a reality that we cannot see, that we cannot taste, that we cannot touch, that is just as real. And Jesus says, unless we grasp that this eternity, this reality that we cannot see, it does exist, and one day we will enter into it fully. Unless we recognize that, we cannot live properly 
in this temporal reality of in the place where we can see and what we can taste and we can touch. And the lesson of this parable is this. is just as this shrewd manager used his worldly possessions that were at his disposal to his own advantage, Jesus says, disciples, Christians, you need to use what God has given you for your eternal advantage. Because you see, how we steward what God has given us now in this life will determine how we enter into the next. And notice what I'm saying here. I'm not saying how we steward what we have in this life will determine whether we get into the next life. No, no, what I'm saying is it determines how we will enter into eternal life. Because you'll hear from the pulpit many, many times that we are saved by grace. Not so that's the very thing I opened up with. Is that the Father will receive you only one way. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't try and bargain for it. He wants to give you eternal life as a gift. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. In other words, what gets you into heaven is not about how much money you give to the church. It's not about how much good work you do. What secures your citizenship in heaven is what you do with Jesus Christ. And what you have to do with Jesus is recognize that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that you cannot get to your eternal dwelling, to the Father, any other way by accepting his means, which is this, that we are rotten to the core because of sin, that Christ is righteous to the core because of his perfection, and that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our hope. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that if someone asks you why you're going to heaven, you say it's Christ, you're in. That's grace. It's getting what you don't deserve. Ah, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, Christians, you're there by sheer grace but you've got to get the salvation working out in your life. You've been given a foundation of Jesus Christ, but what are you going to do with that? Remember, he says we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, this salvation that you have received by grace, this being born again, is you have to start getting it working in your life. You have to start building. You have been saved for a purpose. God has given you a specific task. And he wants you to start partnering with him for the kingdom. Remember, it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. Is that you are on track with Jesus to do works that he has planned for you to do long ago. And Jesus says, if you neglect that, you will lose something on the day when you stand before the Father. Paul says, if you look up into the sky at night, as all of us have done, and you look at one star shining in different degrees... So it's going to be on that day of resurrection when one star will differ from another in glory. In other words, is there is an inheritance. There is a reward for the Christian to enter into, which will be determined by our obedience to Jesus in this life. And if we don't realize that eternity and what will happen on that day is being shaped by what we are doing here on earth, we are going to be considered to be the biggest fools that ever lived. And I want to say this morning, you know what? No other church is in such bad trouble at the moment. 
is because our faith, we have men in the church and women speaking for our faith as being a faith that's just for this life. You've got guys standing up and saying, you know what the Christian life is? It's not really about eternal life. It's really about having an amazing life here. It's about how you can be healthy, how you can be wealthy, and how you can be wise. And we've got guys who are wrecking the church in their prosperity teaching because they're saying, you know what? Jesus actually died so that you can be rich. Not rich in the life to come, rich now. And so really, everything that Jesus did, his death and resurrection is to make you wealthy and make you rich and comfortable. Or you've got guys like Joel Austin, or not this Joseph Prince, the other Joseph Prince, and uh, Crefo Dolly. You've got these guys talking about God really died, Jesus really died so that you can be happy. You can be successful. That this life, you can be somebody. What a load of nonsense. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. My friend, you do not understand the Christian faith until you see it in the light of eternity. It makes no sense of what we are doing here on a Sunday, of what we give our money to, of what we give our time to, our prayer, our reading of Scripture, our obedience to the Holy Spirit. It makes no sense unless you see it in the light of eternity. Do you know what makes a Christian generous? It's when they realize they're taking none of the stuff that we have with them. It's that in eternity, what's going to be gotten on that day far outweighs what we can possibly give now. Do you know what makes us resist temptation? Have you ever thought about this? You know the world laughs at a holy Christian. Do you know why it laughs? It's because the world thinks this life is all that there is. So why on earth would you wait to have sex only in marriage? Why on earth would you discipline your body and not enter into dishonest business and not enter into certain lustful appetites that we could indulge in with the rest of the world? Why on earth do we delay that gratification? Because we believe this life is not all that it is. And so it's not about a bucket list, church. It's not about how much you can achieve in your own personal desire on this side of the grave. This life is not the thing that drives us. It's the next. And unless you see that, you will never resist temptation because you'll feel like you're missing out on the now. The Christian says we deny ourselves now for the glory that is to come then. How about this? What makes a Christian turn the other cheek? The most intrinsic human feeling, fleshy feeling, is to desire revenge. How can a Christian love and pray for his enemy? Because we know that this life and what they think of us and what our reputation is, we don't have to worry about it because there's going to be a day when the entire creation is going to stand before God and God will vindicate who was right and who was wrong. So we can forgive, we can release, because we know there's an eternity coming where this is going to be straightened out. <laughs> How does about this? Salvation will not make sense to you unless you believe in eternal life. Jesus is much more than just a good teacher. He's much more than a nice guy who gave good advice. Jesus is the difference between heaven and hell. Church, that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we meet here on a Sunday. And I want to say, I've had to be challenged by this this week. You will not be urgent to share the gospel of Jesus Christ unless you believe that. Unless you fundamentally believe that every single person has to be engaged with the gospel because eternal destinies are at stake, you will not pray, you will not be motivated, you will have no sense of urgency to share Christ. 
he'll be reduced down to how can I just make what I have to do now my goal. Lastly, if I had to ask the question, we've got one more month to live before we stand before Jesus. How would that shape our time management? How would that shape the dreams and aspirations of our soul? How will that shape the effort that we give ourselves to? How will that shape where we decide to live, where we decide to work, where we decide to play? Friends, eternity matters because it shapes the Christian's reality. And this morning I want to say to you that the most important thing is to settle first where you're going once you die. We believe you're not ready to live unless you're ready to die. And friends, the second you receive Jesus, your world is turned upside down because your priority shifts from what can be seen to what is still to come. And the reality is this, is that Jesus knows in this life, the thing that can master his disciples is money. There is a competition, church, for our affections and our attention. And we, got it, we feel it every single season. Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the reason why Jesus singles out money is this. It's because the greatest competition to God is wealth. Because in our money, we can feel secure. In our money, we get our status, our identity, our value. People admire us because of the amount of cash we have. That's how the world operates. And it can satisfy multiple appetites in our lives. Jesus says, church, this is why it's so important to be clear about what our relationship to money is, is because those things need to be satisfied in God. As a Christian, you forego the right to protect yourself. You give that to God. And in that, we let our security be in Him. We let our status and our identity and our value come from Him. And we let Him be the satisfaction of our souls. We are driven for a desire to have more of Him. And what can happen is, if we live for money, and more of it, is we cannot live for God. And this morning, Jesus says something which is of vital importance. He says, how we live will sooner or later be reflected in how we handle money, both ours and others. Notice what he says in verse, chapter, verse 10 and 11. He says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? You see, if you're like me, we tend to separate our money from our spiritual life. We tend to be so spiritual about praying and reading scripture. But Jesus says, do you want to know where your heart is? It's what you're doing with your treasure. And so spiritually, church, this is where the breakthrough happens. Is we are able to evaluate our hearts before God based on our attitude 
towards our wealth. And as a pastor and as a friend of Christian friends and Christian church um, people or people attendees, congregants, it has happened over and over. Do you know what leads people away from serving the Lord? It's not gross sin. It's not even a sickness. It's not even hardship or suffering. Do you know what it is in my experience? It has been the temptation of cash. And I've watched a number of my friends setting aside God's time and the things of his kingdom to build their own. And I went through a very tough season as a student. I worked three jobs at Varsity, and um, money was an issue for me because I didn't have a lot of it. And um, I took it very seriously. And this is important, students. If you can support and help your parents, you need to do that. Don't just sit there and let them carry the weight, and you just enjoy it all without making no contribution. That's just an extra. But what happened to me was this. I used to work shifts. And obviously, the more shifts you work, the more money you get, not so. And I went through a stage where I started to try and cram in as many shifts as I possibly could because I wanted that extra cash. And you know what happened to me? The things of God became less and less. I was too tired to pray. I was too tired to attend what I knew what was good for my soul. And it killed me spiritually. And what began to happen was, the more money I tried to earn, the less I actually came out with at the end of the month. My car started breaking. My health started failing. I got very, very sick. There were a number of things where I felt God's hand move off my life. And you know what? One of the greatest lessons I learned early on at Varsity was this willingness to trust God to be my provider and to give myself to what he asks me to do first and to trust him for the rest. I have been amazed. I could go into story after story. We don't have excessive wealth that the prosperity teachers have. We have been blessed, yes. But I tell you what, we have not lacked once. I'm running out of time. I'm resisting to tell you more stories, but this is how it works, church. Is if you put God to the test in this one area of being willing to give yourselves to seek first his kingdom, that's it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, your entire life is built on am I pleasing Jesus? Is his right? If that is the fundamental thing that drives you, my friend, wait. All these other things he'll see to you. And it is the life of freedom. I want to tell you, Marina and I are learning that when there is something coming up and we're going to be short, we don't stress about it. We go, God, it's in your hands because we believe we're in your will. And I want to say what's at stake is the incredible peace of the Holy Spirit here this morning. So many of us are depressed. So many of us are anxious. We cannot sleep at night. And you are working harder and harder and neglecting what God is calling you. And in the end, you find yourself wrapped up in the most terrible anxiety. 
But it's not just those that are actively trying to earn more cash to secure their living. It's those who don't have enough as it is. I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you let God love you as a father? When I was in my dad's house, my dad looked after me. His commitment was he worked and made sure that I had not a lot, not what I wanted, but I had enough. And I want to say this morning, what's at stake for you is if you are saying, Matt, there is not even an option for work. You're saying trying to do more shifts to bring you more income. I don't know where the next week's money is going to come from. I want to say put God to the test because if you're a child of his, he promises to be a faithful father. And Paul says, Godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But there is a warning attached to this, church. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here it is. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. How we relate to our money reflects where our heart is before God. And if you're running after that extra pay packet and promotion, and it is becoming the obsession of your life, be careful. If there is grumbling and complaining that you never have enough, be careful. God is listening. If you always are never satisfied with, with what's in your hand, but you're always waiting for the next best thing, or you are coveting or jealous or discontent, be careful. If you cannot rein in your debt, be careful. If you cannot exercise putting off the immediate for what God will give you later, be careful. If you're withholding your tithe, the tenth of all that you earn, and not bringing it to the church, be careful. What that portrays is not the fact that the church is missing out on some cash. What it betrays is this. Is who is your master? Whom are you serving? Secondly, it's also about how we use others' wealth. This morning, Christians, are you the best employees for your boss? Do you manage your boss's finance well? Are you there on time and do you leave on time? Do you give a good wage for what your boss earns when you work there? Business owners, employers here, do you withhold your employees' money? Do you give them the right wage? Do you pay them at the right time? Do you honor the work that they do for you? One commentator says, where there is no financial honesty, there is no approval from God. Closing with a few more thoughts. Jesus says, how we choose to honor him with our wealth will have eternal consequences. And in verse 9, Jesus is something profound. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. You know what the question we need to be asking about the money that's in our hand is will on that day when we stand before God, will there be anybody in the midst of all creation who will thank God for what we gave towards the kingdom? 
is will there be souls? Will there be people in heaven because of the faithfulness of how we have given? And this has been something I've thought about a lot. So at the end of the day, how have I sought the kingdom of God with what is in my hands? The other thought I want to leave with you this morning is Jesus says you cannot have greater responsibility unless you show responsibility with the little that you have. If I ask the question this morning, how many of you want more of God? Who would lift up your hand? You don't have to. How many of you want more of His Spirit? How many of you want more of um, your, the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Want to have a greater influence in His kingdom? How many of you want that promotion? How many of you want that entrusting with more in your life? Friends, it's not going to come unless you're faithful with what you have. And the challenge is this. If we believe as Christians, God is the one that promotes us. How do we live? In the light of every day, God is watching and asking the question, I know you want that, but what are you doing with this? That's the test. And so this is something immensely practical. I don't want you to leave this morning feeling guilty because what's the purpose of this parable? It's to show us that the Master is merciful. This guy was in trouble because he had mismanaged what the boss had given him. Not so? Oh man, but God is so merciful. It's today, like this shrewd manager, you put God on the spot. You say, you want the world to know you're merciful. Lord, I need mercy right now. And I need mercy in the way I have been managing the resources you have given me. You know what he'll do? He'll do it right now. He'll commend you for taking that stand. And this manager never lost his job. Some speculate, but it doesn't say that he was kicked out of the opportunity to serve the master. And I believe that's righteous. That's right. It's the same as for you this morning. Is what you do is you be practical. You sit down with your spouse. You yourself look at what you've got. How are you handling your money? Are you honoring the Lord? Are you asking yourself the question, will anybody be thankful for the way that I managed my resources one day in heaven? Ask yourself the tough questions. How's your time management? Does something always come up in front of God's time, in front of a Sunday, Wednesday night, prayer, reading scripture? fact that we are born again and given a part of the body means that we're here to participate. Ask yourself the question, if God had to come in and call me before him tomorrow, next month, what would look different about my life? Friends, this morning I say these things to encourage us. That in this moment, you might be going, one-tenth? That's crazy. Read Malachi chapter 3. You might be going, there's just no ways. I want to ask you to look at it from a different perspective this morning. What we do with our money fundamentally tells us who we're trusting. That's what's at stake. And this morning, you can enter into the incredible blessing and peace 
of handing over the responsibility of the basics to God. And if you had to ask many of us here who've walked with Jesus for a bit, when we've put him to the test, he's come through every single time. We serve a good God. We serve a faithful Father. And He loves us. He's not going to let us go. That's what's at stake. And so as a testimony of that love, this table is an opportunity for us to be reminded of what Jesus did. And this table is the gift, right? This table is the gift that says you can have eternal life freely. And what we're about to do is we're about to pick up this bread and this cup, and this is a symbolism of what Christ has done for us. And it's a symbolism of faith. And this is the faith challenge I want to say to you this morning. If the Father did not withhold His Son for our salvation, His one and only Son, how much more will He provide the clothes you need, the roof for your head? How much more? This is His guarantee in Jesus. But the way you have to receive it is by faith. And this is not for anybody here this morning who has not come to the place where they have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that have come to put their hope in His life, death, and resurrection. You can do it right now, then you can take it. But let it pass by. This is for the person that has received the gift and the promise of the Father. So I'm going to ask Mzama to pray for the bread and Roger for the wine. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, our eternal God, we want to say and declare that we love you as a church and as your people. Thank you that from time to time you visit us into, in this sanctuary and show yourself to us. We know that you don't dwell in places that are made handmade, but you dwell in our hearts. We want to say we love you. We know that you first loved us, Lord Jesus. You are the master of our righteousness. You are the master of forgiveness. As we partake in this act of faith, Heavenly Father, we think of your, bread, of your body that was broken and bruised for our trespasses. Thank you that you took the pain for us. Thank you for reminding us and leading us into this act of worship even today. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Yes, Lord, as we, um, as just reminded, as we, we take these two elements, Lord, there's an incredible significance, Lord. As we drink this grape juice today, Lord, uh, it is representative of a massive price that you paid for us. You made it possible for us to know you, to spend eternity with you, to have a relationship with you. And Lord, we worship you this morning. We worship you in your grace and your mercy. 
which you have lavished on us and you continue to pour out on us. Um, Lord, be honored this morning, Lord, as we do this. We don't take it lightly, uh, but we remember the incredible weight uh, of this moment, this moment uh, many years ago when you uh, intervened in our lives, you intervened in the destiny of our world, and you rescued us. Amen. We're going to hand out the elements, and uh, this is your moment. You're going to have a busy week, but this is your moment to come before Jesus and to meditate on Him. Just hold on to the elements. We'll eat and drink together. Lord Jesus, we want to be soft towards You. We want to be open to every single aspect of our lives being given to you. And that's what it means to be a disciple. It means a follower of Jesus that in every areas of our life we're seeking to be righteous before you, Lord. And you know, Lord, how close the sin come to home, how difficult this can be for us at times. Some seasons it's easier to relate to money than others. But Lord, this morning we want to just say, Lord, we don't want to serve two masters this morning. We want to serve you. And Lord, so many times you've shown yourself faithful in this area. And I just sense the Lord saying to us this morning, have I ever failed you? When you've trusted me, have I ever failed you? What's stopping you now? And so this morning, Lord, we want to pray that God, as we lift our eyes to you, Jesus, as the evidence of the generosity of the Father, who didn't spare his own son, to ransom us from our sins. Lord, this morning we want to say we trust you. We trust you, Lord, for the future. And so, Lord, as we're about to eat and as we're about to drink, Lord, we pray that as we do so, you'll feel faith in our hearts and a fresh rest in the knowledge of your love for us. In Jesus' name, let's eat and drink together.